Romans chapter 16, Romans chapter 16, and I'm going to read and preach verses 17 through 23 this morning, getting near the end of the book. In these verses, Paul, the apostle, the author of this letter, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, issues some final warnings and passes along some final greetings to the Christians in Rome whom he is writing to. And we'll examine those actually in reverse, the greetings first and then the warnings, and see what we can learn from this part of God's word together this morning. You know, the Christian life is a journey, like we read about in Pilgrim's Progress, if you've read the book. A journey from the city of destruction, which we are born in, to the celestial city that we are now citizens of through faith in Jesus Christ. And as we think about the Christian life as a journey, we all know that there are many enemies that we face along the way. It is a difficult journey. It is a dangerous journey that we take. Uh, There is the enemy of the world, Vanity Fair in the book, Pilgrim's Progress. The worldling's pleasures that are fading that we sing about. There is the devil, of course, and all of his devices and all of his demons. And there is also the enemy within, our own sin that dogs us along the way. And just like Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress warns us of the different kinds of enemies that we will face, enemies like worldly wise man, cleverly named, giant despair, and of course Apollyon himself. So in much the same way, the Apostle Paul here warns us of the kinds of enemies that we will face along the way. He does this in his letters. In the passage before us this morning, he warns us of one specific kind of enemy, and that is the enemy of false teachers and their false teaching. This passage is like a warning sign on the side of the road on our journey. It's like one of those signs you've probably seen on the highway. Kids, as you're uh, being driven down the highway, you see on the side of the highway, A sign that says, beware of falling rocks. Maybe you've seen that kind of sign. Though I'm sure it would be dangerous, I've kind of always wanted to see those falling rocks. Uh, Perhaps you have as well. But this passage is like a warning sign that says, beware of false teachers. False teachers, those who say that they're serving Christ, but in reality, as Paul puts it rather bluntly, they're not serving Christ, they're serving their own appetites. Like Satan deceived Eve, they deceive the hearts of the naive, Paul says. And so we need to watch out for them and avoid them on our journey. And our hope and our confidence as we watch out for them on our journey is that the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet and that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with us. That's what Paul says. That's how he closes the paragraph on these warnings. So, so we can trust the God of peace and rest in the grace of Christ as we make our way to the celestial city. We'll consider that together this morning in this passage. Let's pray first, though, and ask God to help us as we give our attention to this part of his word together. God, we thank you for giving us this portion of your word, and we do pray and ask for your help 
now as we gather around your word together, as we gather around and sit at your feet, Jesus, please teach us what we need to know. Please train us how to watch out for false teachers. And most of all, help us to trust in you and to rest in you as the one who will crush Satan and as the one who will give us all the grace we need for every part of our journey. Help us now as we come to your word together. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Romans 16, reading verse 17 down through verse 23. This is the word of God. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Like I said, we're gonna examine these two sections in reverse. First, we'll look at these greetings in verses 21 through 23, and then we'll spend the rest of our time on Paul's warnings in verses 17 through 20. So greetings. Paul's been greeting people. There's a whole long list of people he says to greet in verses three through 16. We looked at that last time. Then he sort of interrupts the greetings to give these warnings. That's how important they are. It's a priority interrupt, as it were. And then after the warnings, we have some more greetings, and those are what we're gonna look at first here. Paul passes along greetings to eight individuals. These are fellow believers who are with him in Corinth as he's writing the letter, and perhaps they see that he's writing to the believers in Rome, and they ask him to say hello for them. He starts with Timothy in verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. We first read about Timothy in the book of Acts, chapter 16. If you would go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16, read a few verses together and some verses in a minute from Acts 17, or you can just listen as I read. Acts chapter 16, verses one through three. This is the first time we read about Timothy in the New Testament. Acts 16, verse one. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And we're gonna go to Acts 17 in just a minute, so you can keep your Bibles open to Acts for now. In other places, Paul called Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 4, 17. Also, my true child in the faith, 1 Timothy 1, 2. 
And in Philippians chapter 2, 20 through 22, he had these encouraging words to say about Timothy. He said, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Wonderful words of encouragement. You might have some good conversation after the service today by asking someone, who's been like a father or mother to you spiritually? You can ask each other that question. Who's been like a father or mother to you spiritually? If you're, if you're Timothy, who's been your Paul? And conversely, who's your Timothy? Who are you pouring into? I think it's healthy for all of us to have fathers and mothers in the faith who are pouring into us and to have sons and daughters in the faith who we are pouring into so that the whole family of God can grow into maturity in Christ. We, we wanna be sort of like one of those big orange Gatorade jugs you see on the sidelines of a game where refreshing water is of course poured in the top but then it's also poured out the spout at the bottom for the benefit of others. And if you don't have someone pouring into you, maybe that's coming to your mind, I would encourage you to pray for it and to seek it. Seek it here in the body of Christ. And if you don't have someone you're pouring into, pray for that as well. Seek that as well. Again, so that the whole family of God can be growing into maturity in Christ. Think of Paul and think of Timothy as one example of that. He then passes along greetings from three individuals, Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, his kinsmen, meaning his fellow Jews, his fellow Israelites, and flip over to Acts 17 for just a minute. We'll read about Jason, Acts chapter 17, starting at verse one. I'll read down through verse nine, and this is about Jason, the Jason Paul greets. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Perhaps you could read on later this afternoon to see what happens. I think from this we can just be reminded that being a follower of Jesus means that sometimes you are misunderstood and mistreated as Jason was. Sometimes it means that you are thought of as uncool or unpopular. Sometimes it requires you to give up being comfortable in your life, perhaps even to risk your life, but it's worth it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The next one, back in Romans 16, it's one of my favorites. Verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. So when I was in seminary, one of my professors in the class on Acts and Romans, he said, who wrote Romans? Somebody raised their hand and said, Paul. He said, wrong. Turn to Romans 16. We all turned to Romans 16, somewhat perplexed. And, and there we read, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. And he said, see, Tertius wrote the book of Romans. Of course, he then went on to explain, as I will now, that Tertius was the scribe who wrote the words on the paper while the Apostle Paul dictated the letter to him, which was a common practice at the time. Tertius was the amanuensis, is the technical name, the scribe, the secretary, who took down the letter as Paul dictated it. And of course, the Holy Spirit, we believe, oversaw that entire process so that what Paul dictated and what Tertius wrote were the very words of God. So kids, when someone asks you, who wrote the book of Romans? There are three right answers. You could say that Paul wrote the book of Romans and you'd be right. You could say that God wrote Romans. Of course, you would be right. You could also say a guy named Tertius wrote the book of Romans. And according to Romans 16, verse 22, you would also be correct. Okay, a couple more and then we'll get to the section on false teachers. In verse 23, he says... Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you, which probably means that the church met in his house. Then he says, Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. And the fact that someone as prominent as the city treasurer is passing along his greetings reminds us that God calls all kinds of people to himself in salvation. The gospel is for every kind of person. The gospel is for everyone. Anyone who repents of their sin and believes in Jesus Christ will be saved and will have eternal life. Even the person you think is least likely to be converted. Maybe the person who's coming to your mind right now. Even that person is not beyond the reach of the arm of omnipotent grace. So keep seeking to reflect and proclaim Christ to them and keep praying for them. Now in many Bibles there is a verse 23, but there is actually no verse 24, it just goes to verse 25. Your Bible may have verse 24 depending on what translation you have. And if it doesn't, it probably has a note that says something like, Some manuscripts insert verse 24, quote, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. But other manuscripts, other handwritten copies of the text of the New Testament don't have a benediction following verse 23. It just goes right into the doxology of verse 25. But regardless of whether or not verse 24 was part of the original text of inspired scripture, It does not materially affect things. Those words are almost verbatim at the end of verse 20, which we'll look at at the end of the section 
we're going to look at now. So let's consider our second main point now, warnings. And we'll examine the warning Paul issues in verses 17 through 20. First, we encounter the warning itself. The warning itself in verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. So this is a serious warning. This is a heartfelt warning. He uses similar language in chapter 12, verse one, when he appeals to these believers in light of all the mercies of God that have been poured out on them, he appeals to them to present their bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Then in chapter 15, verse 30, he appeals to them again, this time to strive together with him in their prayers to God on his behalf that he might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and accepted by the believers there. And here in chapter 16, verse 17, he appeals to them. He pleads with them. He beseeches them. He urges them. As brothers, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, in the family of God, to watch out for these false teachers, to look out for them, to beware of them. Notice how he describes them and their teaching. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. So these false teachers were doing two things. They were causing divisions and they were creating obstacles. First, they were causing divisions in the churches. Galatians 5, in listing the works of the flesh, mentions strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. These false teachers were bearing and causing others to bear not the good fruit of unity, but the rotten fruit of divisions. Like those rotten apples you see on the ground when you go apple picking, all brown and mushy and with bugs in them instead of good apples on the trees. These false teachers were bearing bad fruit Rotten fruit, not good fruit. They were causing divisions. And it says that they were creating obstacles or stumbling blocks that were causing people to trip and fall into moral and doctrinal error. And they were causing divisions and creating obstacles, Paul says, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And this is key. What makes a false teacher a false teacher is that they don't teach the truth. These false teachers were causing divisions and creating obstacles contrary to the truth, contrary to the doctrine that these believers had been taught. Listen to what Paul said at the beginning of 1 Timothy, chapter one, verses three and four. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So that's near the beginning of 1 Timothy. Near the end of 1 Timothy, in chapter six, verses two through five, he says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. 
He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. False teachers teach what is false. They teach what is contrary to the truth. They teach what is contrary to sound doctrine. They teach what is contrary to the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. And Paul says to watch out for them. And notice at the end of the verse, verse 17, that he also says to avoid them. Doesn't that stand out in the midst of all these greetings? In the previous paragraph, it was greet so-and-so and and greet so-and-so. And And in the next section that we already looked at, it's so-and-so greets you and -and so-and-so greets you. But here in the middle, it's watch out for false teachers and avoid them. Don't greet them. Don't welcome them. Watch out for them. Avoid them. This is very stark. 2 John, verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Verse 14 of that chapter. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. One more, 2 Timothy, chapter three, verses one through five. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. What does it look like for us to avoid false teachers? Well, it means for us to be Discerning about what we hear. Discerning about what we hear. To be like the Bereans in Acts 17 who received the word with all eagerness but also examined the scriptures daily to see if the things they were hearing were true. Compare what you hear with the Bible. Be careful about what you read, what podcasts you listen to, who you listen to, who you follow, what videos you watch, what books or blogs or social media posts you read and take in. Just like you wouldn't eat one of those rotten apples because of how it would affect your body, don't consume things that are bad for your mind and your heart and your spiritual health. Watch out for false teachers. Avoid false teachers. That's the warning itself in verse 17. Paul then gives the reason for the warning in verse 18, the reason for the warning. Look at verse 18. He says there, for 
Such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So why should they avoid false teachers? Two reasons. First, they do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They don't serve Christ, they serve themselves. They serve their own lusts. As Paul says in Romans 1, they exchange the truth about God for a lie. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. They worship and serve the number one creature, themselves. Paul says in Philippians 3, 18 and 19, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They serve their own appetites. Their God is their belly. Jude, verse 19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the spirit. They should be avoided because they don't serve our Lord Christ They serve their own appetites. And secondly, they should be avoided because by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse three. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Verses 13 through 15 of that chapter. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Just like Satan deceived Eve, these servants of Satan deceive the hearts of the naive. But then Paul says in verse 19, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. In other words, he's he's saying, don't get me wrong. I rejoice over you. You haven't been giving in to these false teachers. You haven't embraced their false teaching. Your obedience is known to all. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Of course, he doesn't say ignorant as to what is evil. He does say innocent as to what is evil. He doesn't want them to be like the Israelites in Jeremiah 4, 22. For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil but how to do good they know not. Instead, Paul says, as he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. So he gives them the warning itself and then the reason for the warning. And thirdly, he gives them the solution to the warning, the solution to the warning, which is the God of peace and the grace of Christ. Look at verse 20. 
the God of peace, will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Doesn't sound very peaceful. But in order for there to be peace, there must first be war in this case. Satan must first be crushed before there can be true peace. And the God of peace is the one who will crush Satan and usher in peace forever. This happens now and it will happen fully and finally and forever at the end when Christ returns. Even now we have overcome the evil one as believers. 1 John 2.14 says that. Even now we are from God and have overcome them. 1 John 4.4 For he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Even now God gives us the victory over the evil one and over the false teachers who serve the evil one and at the end God will crush Satan forever. And how is it that Satan and his servants can be crushed under our feet? Well, it's because Jesus crushed Satan at the cross. God had promised all the way back in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring, ultimately a reference to Christ, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Satan would bruise Jesus' heel, but Jesus would bruise Satan's head. The death of Christ was the defeat of Satan and the guarantee of our victory over our enemies. And the promise of victory here, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The promise of victory gives us endurance in the fight. So does the fact that the grace of Christ will be with us. As Paul prays at the end of verse 20. And the reason the grace of Christ is with us on our journey is again because of the death of Christ for us on the cross. The cross is the reason the God of peace is crushing and will crush Satan and the cross is the reason the grace of Christ is with us and will be with us. So as we close... We're on this journey together and there are enemies along the way. One category of enemies is false teachers and their false teaching. This passage certainly calls us in no uncertain terms to watch out for them, to avoid them even. But God doesn't leave us with that, does he? He doesn't just give us this warning sign. He also gives us the promise of victory and the promise of his grace. Our hope and our confidence as we watch out for enemies on the journey to the celestial city is not in ourselves, it is in God. It is that the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with us. So no matter where you are on the journey this morning, Whatever enemies you are facing, trust the God of peace and rest in the grace of Christ and he will bring you safely through.
Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would help us to trust you, to trust your promise, and to rest in the grace of our Lord Christ. We pray in his name, amen.